Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Ken Wyrock, Matthew Betts, and Matt Okada. And we are back, baby. Matthew Betts, Matt Okada. Okada, how are you doing tonight, man? I feel like I haven't talked to you in what has it been? 24 hours? No, man. It's, I think it's been less than that. I think you're right. <laughs> it's been probably about 23. Um, uh, we are back. We recorded round one rookie content last night. Talked about the big names, DK Metcalf, Josh Jacobs, Nikhil Harry, all that stuff. So if you missed any of that content, go back, check out our last episode. Uh, we broke down all those rookies uh, in a lot of detail. And we're back tonight um, talking about the round two ADP rookies. This content... If you're listening, uh, as of this week, is specifically for our Patreon members. So we appreciate all of you out there supporting us. You're going to get access to this earlier than everyone else. If you are not supporting us on Patreon and you would like to do so, please head over to patreon.com slash redshirtsffpod. Um, we are recording this the week of May 7th. So if you're listening at a later date and there's different news or things that come out, we apologize because that is not going to be in tonight's show. Hopefully the future is going well for you, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can see it. It's bright for all of you. It's, <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Especially if you follow our advice and take these rookie picks. Yes, absolutely. Um, and Okada, I didn't put it on the show docs because I wanted to kind of surprise you here. Oh, boy. Um, and we'll surprise Kent as well. But I've got some good, exciting news uh, that I think is exciting to share with our Patreon members first. After all, they do deserve it. Um, and that is, drumroll, we have a new partnership to talk about. Ooh! That's right. We are now members um, and affiliates with Draft. So if you're familiar with the app uh, or the website Draft, they do uh, you know, best ball drafts and, and in-season drafts. We are going to be partnering with them. So look for more information to come on that front. We're still sorting out the details. So uh, super excited to announce that. And um I can't wait to draft with all of you and to take Okada's money this year. Well, uh, <laughs> on that front, Betts, I have to very <laughs> sadly say you may not ever be able to because as long as I'm working at the NFL, I'm not allowed to gamble on football, which is very sad for me, but very good for all of you guys out there that may want to play draft because I did play it for one year before I started working at the NFL and it was one of my favorite uh, non-standard redraft, I guess you might say, fantasy platforms. Really great platform. Super fun to do best balls on there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Huzzah. Well, you've got a, a great job, but that is one downside to your job. I'll, yes. I'll say that. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So look for more details to come soon. Again, find us um, on Twitter, on Facebook, as well as Instagram. More details to come there at RedshirtsFFPod. Okada, you ready to talk more rookies? Oh my goodness, I'm so ready. I cannot wait. Let's do it. So like I said, you know, last episode we, we recapped the top 12. Tonight, for this episode, we're getting into uh, the second round. So according to ADP, players 13 to 24 off the board. We're going to start with number 13 and actually is a guy who was taken first at the wide receiver position in the real NFL draft. That's Marquise Hollywood Brown, now the Baltimore Ravens, formerly of the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, Okada, what do you like about Marquise Brown? Um, I like a few things. I'm not his biggest fan. So if you're looking for some positive stuff, 
You may have to talk to Betts. I don't actually know his take, so we'll find out. But certainly, if you want, if you want the upside, it's gonna be the speed. He is a very speedy. Um, if you want the downside, the number one downside is the size. He's very, very small. Uh, combine measurement was five nine and a half, basically, and 166 pounds, which is honestly probably a little bit high. He probably beefed up for that, which is why he also probably did not run the drills uh, at the combine because he would have looked slower than he is. But so in any case, he probably plays somewhere around 160, maybe to 165 pounds, or at least he did at college, which is tiny. It is itty bitty. It's hysterical because his quarterback was Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray looks like a tiny person behind that offensive line. But every time he throws it to Marquise Brown, you're like, how is there someone smaller than him out there on that field? <laughs> so he is very, very small, but he is very, very fast uh, and very, very productive. He had 2,400 receiving yards combined over his last two seasons, which was more than anyone in college football except Andy Isabella and uh, A.J. Brown. Uh, over the last two seasons. He's kind of a smaller Deshaun Jackson, which is saying something because Deshaun Jackson is small already. Uh, But like I mentioned, Marquise Brown is extremely small. Um, But very, very productive at Oklahoma. We'll see how the size can translate. My biggest, one of my biggest concerns is that his quarterback is not the most pinpoint accurate, yet at least, in Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that that would be a little bit more helpful uh, for a guy like this. But the good news is that hopefully he can hit him on some short stuff that Marquise Brown can then take a whole long way uh, for big, big touchdowns. So there's that. And then the one other thing to note, and I'm sure you'll dive into this, is the injury history. Uh, So I'll just let you handle that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a concern uh, as far as... Hollywood Brown and what his offseason has looked like so far he really hasn't done much and that's not anything against him that's just the nature of his healing after the Liz Frank injury and basically the Liz Frank is a joint in the foot uh, it's the mid midfoot and basically that is stressed a lot more nowadays in these speed guys these speed wide receivers um, particularly when they're at top end speed and kind of get their cleat stuck in the ground or caught in the turf when they go to change direction very quickly causes a torsional stress to the midfoot you can have a, a fracture um, or a ligament injury or a combination of the two. And that so does not sound fun. With, it's not great. Uh, but what we know with, with Hollywood Brown here is that his injury did require surgery. The specifics of it aren't known, but it's at least encouraging that NFL you know, GMs weren't really worried about this from an injury perspective because they took him in the first round of the NFL draft. He didn't fall like we've seen for other players in the past. However, it's important for our you know, our dynasty players out there and fantasy football owners to understand that performance across the board in the first season back after this injury um, is less than what it was previously for players coming back after the injury. So for me, he's a guy that I'm looking towards 2024. I think if you're buying into Hollywood Brown, you should you should understand that and expect that and not be disappointed when the first year doesn't go quite as well as you hope it will. Definitely. And I think to a degree, you might say that uh, Mark, Marquise or Hollywood, whatever you want to call him, Brown, who, by the way, is the cousin of Antonio Brown. I don't think we mentioned that. We did uh, not yet. Slightly, slightly interesting there. Uh, but he kind of comes in to fill the John Brown void in Baltimore. And John Brown looked great when Joe Flacco was the quarterback. And then Lamar Jackson took over 
and John Brown did diddly squat. So uh, we're going to have to see how Lamar Jackson develops, whether they use Marquise a little bit differently than they use John. Uh, but yeah, he's certainly a very high upside, very low floor potentially uh, prospect. Yeah, it's very well said. Uh, let's go ahead and move on here to number 14, the second pick in the second round of rookie drafts right now. Uh, and I should mention, just as a reminder, this is ADP based off of single quarterback leagues, mm. um, is a quarterback here at, at pick 14. That's Dwayne Haskins, the new quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He was taken with the 15th overall pick in the draft in round one, uh, a guy out of Ohio State who was extremely productive last year throwing 50 touchdown passes um and letting up big 10 defenses like it was his job which it kind of was um we talked a lot about paris campbell in the last episode and he was a guy who was a favorite target of haskins as well as someone else that we're going to talk about later um out of ohio state so we'll save that for later but haskins was a guy that was surrounded by talent there at ohio state the scheme was phenomenal and he excelled in it um, he doesn't profile as a running quarterback like that of Kyler Murray. Um, and so he is a true traditional pocket passer. But when you give him weapons, we've seen him be extremely productive and accurate with the ball. So he is your um, classic NFL pocket quarterback with accuracy. And, and I do think he'll have success in this league. I think it's going to be a very rough start to his career, though, when you look at what is around him in Washington? Um, question marks all over the board when it comes to the wide receiver position. So, again, long-term play here with Haskins, but uh, I do like his skill set. What do you think, Okada? Yeah, agreed on almost every point. Um, pretty much every point, actually. Uh, especially the fact that he's probably going to be a little bit of a de- developmental project. Um, not only because his weapons aren't quite there yet, but just because he's a little bit inexperienced. Uh, he had basically one year as a starter, well, entirely one year as a starter uh, at Ohio State. And like you mentioned, he's extremely productive there. Um, but yeah, he certainly has some room to grow. So we'll see if he has a chance to do that in Washington. I'm not super stoked about the landing spot for a variety of reasons. Uh, my guess is, if I had to guess, that he will take over at some point as a starter this season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a realistic possibility he might even start as early as week one. Mm. Yeah, certainly could be. Um, If he does, whether it's week one or week eight or whatever it may be, I don't think we are probably going to be able to expect great things from him in year one. And they did try to add a lot in the draft at the receiver position. A couple guys actually that we'll get to later uh, in these coming uh, rookie preview shows. But he's he might be a little bit more of a project. Um, then say Kyler Murray, who's gonna we know is gonna start right away, and although he doesn't have much experience either as a starter in college, uh, should be a little bit less raw. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the key for Haskins here is I would like to see the Redskins kind of bring him along a little bit more slowly. Agreed. I'll be honest; it's probably gonna be a lost season for that team. There's a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know how they're going to really move the ball downfield to be competitive uh, in the NFC East alongside the Eagles and, and Cowboys. But um, like I said, like the player, if they can build around him and revamp uh, that offense a little bit, I think he'll have su- some success here moving forward. All right. So moving on to the third pick in the second round at current rookie drafts, 
is a guy who has fallen very, very far down boards after the landing spot and after the draft capital. This was a guy who some people had as their 1.01 heading into the draft. This is Akeem Butler, uh, the new wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals out of Iowa State, uh, taken in the very first pick of the fourth round at 103 overall. Um, the biggest thing I think when I think about Akeem Butler is size. I mean, this guy is huge. He is an NFL wide receiver body, uh, 6'5", 225, and he plays to that ability. So for me, when when I project him here moving forward, I love the idea of Kyler Murray extending plays, getting out of the pocket, on the run, and targeting Hakeem Butler deep because he's the type of guy that when you're in Kyler Murray's shoes and let's say you're scrambling, you look up, he's the kind of guy you want to see downfield with that big target. Um, I can see success with those two in the future. Um, I'm not sure, though, with how much that offense is probably going to spread the ball around, that he'll have a ton of success year one. But long-term, I still like his talent a lot. What are your thoughts? Yeah, 100% agree on most, if not all, of those points. He was actually my number one receiver. It was pretty much a 1A, 1B with him and Akeel coming into the draft. Um, And I had both of those guys ahead of most of the running backs. I think I had Miles Sanders number one. Unfortunately, not super stoked about his landing spot. But... So, yeah, Hakeem Butler for me is still up in the actually mid-first round for me. This landing spot is not bad enough to hurt too bad. I still have him at number eight, actually, uh, from a rookie draft perspective. So, I really like him. You touched on a lot of the big strengths. His side-speed combo is disgusting. 4.48 speed at 6'5", 227 pounds is just... If... if uh, DK Metcalf hadn't did, done what he did um, at the Combine, we would be talking about Hakeem Butler as a physical monstrosity, But and even though he still is, but where he was just kind of overshadowed by, by Metcalf. Um, and Butler has pretty much everything you could want. He's got we, the physical traits we just talked about. He has the production. He had 1,300 yards uh, on 22 yards per reception last year at Iowa State, with both of which were school records. Um, he could be an elite big slot guy, which they've had one of for quite some time named Larry Fitzgerald, uh, and Akeem Butler. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's had a few yards and receptions I've heard, uh, Mm -hmm. Akeem Butler is bigger, a bigger version. (laughs) And I actually don't know Larry Fitz's, uh, 40 time, but I can't imagine it was much faster than this. Um, so yeah, definitely has a good chance of being an elite big possession slot guy, but also great downfield, great with contested catchability. I think he can do it all, um, and is a great compliment to a couple of the other guys they have there, especially Isabella and Kirk. Um, like you said, the there's going to be potentially a lot of spreading around in this offense, so I don't know what his perception total is going to look like, but if it's anywhere above 60 to 70... In that range, uh, in the next couple years, his yards per reception ability and his touchdown upside with his size, both of those things could make him a great, great fantasy asset. Yes, I I think the, the ceiling here is, is great. And I think that the draft capital thing is a little bit overblown with Akeem Butler. Um, it wasn't that 
it wasn't that he went to a bad spot or that the landing spot is the issue that people are arguing, I think, in, in other fantasy circles. Uh, it's the fact that he fell to the fourth round, and then I think everyone's minds were kind of put at ease when he literally went with the first pick in the fourth round. So let's say he goes two picks earlier, then people aren't talking about, oh, well, he's a third-round wide receiver. Third round isn't bad for draft capital. So don't let that fourth-round capital fool you. I still think he's a, a long-term part of the plans there for Cliff Kingsbury in that air raid offense. So um, definitely like the upside there with that frame and his ability to get downfield and make contested catches. So like him a lot. Um, Okada, I'll kick it back to you. Let's go ahead and talk about the next guy here, which is Daryl Henderson. Yeah, so running back out of Memphis, this was one of the worst landing spots from the potential that the player could have had. We actually talked quickly about on the mock draft pod about how A.J. Brown was one of the worst. Daryl Henderson is the other worst. Uh, if he had gone to a, a system where he could have been the, the for sure RB1, we would be talking about him, I think, in the top of the first round. Um, he had 1,900 rushing yards in his final Woo! season at Memphis. That is a lot of Good rushing Lord. yards, in case you're curious. Also, 300 receiving yards, which isn't bad. So that's well over 2,000 total scrimmage yards. Um, and he also had 1,100 rushing yards the year before and uh, 22 touchdowns in his junior year last year, uh, all at Memphis. So extremely productive. His yards per carry is obscene. 8.9 yards per carry last year, 8.2 for his career. Obviously, a little bit of that, of that comes from playing on Memphis. He's not necessarily facing the strongest defenses on a daily basis. But this guy has... to all the production that you could possibly want. And he also has the athletic profile. He ran a 4.49 at the combine. That's very, very good. Uh, he's not too big. He's 5'8", 208. So it's a, maybe a little smaller than you would like, but not, you know, not dangerously small. Um, and he's an absolute home run hitter. So from a, from a, I guess, scouting perspective, really good stuff. The problem, of course, comes with where he landed, and I'll let you take over from that perspective. Yeah, so, you know, of course, the landing spot there is with the LA Rams. We know that Todd Gurley has arthritis in his knee. That's documented at this point. There's no debating that. And that's not something that's going to get better with time. That's actually only going to uh, get worse as time goes by and as he adds more carries and more touches uh, to his body. So for me here, you know, in redraft, I still love Todd Gurley. I still think he's a top seven or eight back uh, when you're drafting. I still think he's going to be productive. But long term, you know, he's not going to be a guy that's playing into likely his 30s. So with Daryl Henderson here, the thing to consider is, you know, maybe it doesn't happen as much as we want it to year one with him. But that's okay if it happens next year or the year after. And maybe they start to dial back Todd Gurley's workload and they go more 50-50 in the future. 50% of the touches in the LA Rams backfield is worth more than 70% in, I don't know. Give me a team. Uh, a bad the team. Dolphins. The Dolphins backfield. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so I don't hate the landing spot quite as much because I still think he has a chance to learn from a great running back in Todd Gurley. And I think he is the absolute definition of what Sean McVay's offense is needs from the running back position so i love this guy i mean when i think of him i literally think of the word playmaker and home run because his ability to get downfield and his explosiveness is out of control when you look back um at last season alone 27 runs 
of 20 yards or more, which is crazy, and 10 runs of 50 yards or more. So he is a firecracker. He can get downfield in a hurry, and I guarantee you Sean McVay is going to find ways to get him and Todd Gurley involved. So if there's someone out there in your league that's letting him fall because of the landing spot, trade up and get this guy. Uh, I like him a lot. As of uh, a few days ago, I still had... Daryl Henderson as my ninth overall player in this class. I'll probably drop him a See little that. bit back to the 11, 12 range. But, you know, for me, this is a value in the middle of the second round. Yeah, definitely solid. All right. Next guy I'm going to let you take because he plopped down onto your Philadelphia Eagles. The second Eagle we've talked about. What is in this first 15 picks? Yes, uh, sir. JJ Arcega Whiteside. What do you got? Yeah, so J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was taken by the Eagles uh, in the middle of the second round, or I guess late second round, pick 25 in round two, 57 overall. Um, Not going to lie, I was kind of surprised when I heard his name called for the Eagles there uh, when they did, but he's a player who I think a great comp for him is Alshon Jeffrey, who is already on the roster. Um, They both are big body wide receivers who are excellent red zone targets. In my opinion, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is the best red zone receiver in this class. His size and frame allow him to box out defenders. And, you know, with Carson Wentz's accuracy, he'll be able to deliver the ball to a place where only J.J. can get it. And I do think he has the ability to grow with Carson Wentz in the future and be a, a touchdown machine there in that offense alongside of Zach Ertz. Now, you have to consider the fact that because his comp is Alshon Jeffrey, He's going to be playing behind Alshon Jeffrey. Mm. So for me, year one, there's probably not going to be a lot there for Arcega Whiteside. A great offense, but there's tons of weapons, and they spread the ball around a lot. You've got Deshaun Jackson back in town. Obviously, Alshon's still there. Zach Ertz is that team's wide receiver one. Um, three guys out of the backfield. So for me, year one, it's going to be it's going to be slow for Arcega Whiteside. Barring injury, of course, to someone in front of him. But long-term, I like that landing spot, and I think it gives Wentz a great weapon in this offense. Yeah, and barring injury when it comes to Alshon Jeffrey isn't that uh, unlikely of a you know, prospect. So there's certainly, Very true. Yeah, there's certainly some opportunity there. Also, you mentioned his ability to box out, and I just happened to recall that his mother and father both played professional basketball uh, in Spain. So that's yeah. interesting. Um, he learned from the best. Yes, he did. But yeah, definitely, probably the best contested catch receiver in this class. Certainly elite in that aspect. He had 40 contested catches over his last two seasons, which was the most in the FBS uh, from 2017 to 2018. So absolute beast in that respect. Um, it'll We'll have to see what happens with Alshon. I, I didn't actually pull it up, but do you happen to know what his contract situation is? Mr. Eagle, uh, off the top, off the top of my head, I think he's under contract for two more years. Don't quote me on that, though. I'm not sure to be honest. With I you. will not quote you. I will pull it up, and oh gosh, he's on contract through 2021, so three years left. Hey, not uh, but not not much dead cap <laughs> in the last year. So if he's old and unproductive, they might get rid of him. Um, but yeah, that that definitely is a little tough to slide in somewhere where one of your better comps is actually right there in front of you. So we'll have to see whether he can kind of carve out his own role in this offense, but certainly has high touchdown upside. This could be a guy who sort of has a Mike Williams from last year kind of year. Maybe it's in year Mm -hmm. two like Mike Williams did, but where you don't have that much in the way of yardage and catches, but you get double-digit touchdowns. He has that kind of potential, so I like him for fantasy. Yeah, I actually like that call a lot as far as the Mike Williams year two breakout from a, a touchdown perspective, so... 
He's a guy who I'm penciling in as a buy low next year because I think, like I said, year one will probably be pretty slow production-wise. Uh, but year two and moving forward, I like the fit there uh, in Philly. Let's go ahead and move on to our next uh, prospect and rookie here. Uh, at the 18th overall pick in rookie drafts is Andy Isabella, one of the other Cardinals wide receivers who was actually taken before the guy who was going in front of him in rookie drafts, Akeem Butler. Isabella was taken in round two by the Arizona Cardinals. He is out of UMass, Okada. Tell me a little bit about Andy Isabella. Yeah, Andy Isabella was the uh, the one everyone was pegging to go to the Patriots for reasons, <laughs> one of which being that he came out of UMass. Um, he is a production beast. Holy mackerel. Uh, 1,700 receiving yards last year, which was the most in the FBS, uh, and set, a, obviously, a school record for a single season. Um, absolutely incredible from a production standpoint. And uh, if you happen to have access to any PFF grades, a, a beast from that standpoint, he was the highest graded uh, outside receiver by PFF. And I think that that little uh, qualifier there is interesting because lest you be tempted to slide Isabella into the slot or think he's just a slot guy, not so. He was an incredibly good from the outside. He's got 4-3-1 speed, tied Paris Campbell for the fastest at the, at the uh, combine. So extremely fast, extremely productive. He's in, I guess you could sort of comp him in, in a sense to a faster Tyler Lockett maybe, or a more nuanced John Brown sort of guy in that he can do multiple things, uh, but he, he brings that absolutely destructive speed uh, and the production kind of speaks for itself. So I really like this landing spot for Isabella with the Cardinals because I think he will get hit all over the field and wherever he gets hit, he'll be able to break it for big, big plays. Yeah, I think that was that was well said. Um, when I watched Isabella's tape, and maybe you agreed with me or, or not, uh, I saw a guy who reminded me of the Energizer Bunny. I think every single route that I watched him run was full effort, full speed. Um, the guy puts in a ton of effort, and I think that that will translate to the NFL, and, and NFL coaches are going to like that out of him. He's a guy who uses his speed very well, maybe not quite as much, um, or quite as, it's different, I should say, compared to someone that you know people are saying is more of a straight-line player in DK Metcalf. Um, Isabella is fast as heck, but he's able to utilize that with quickness, and he's able to change direction too. So he's not just a straight line speed guy like someone else might be. He's able to utilize that and, and run effective routes, I think, from what I've seen on film. So for me, you know, he's a guy that I think is a coach's dream when it comes to being able to move him around the field, play different spots, scheme him up in different ways. So I'm excited to see what Cliff Kingsbury can do with him in that area of offense. 100%. All right, I'll swing us over to the next guy. So we got a another Buffalo Bills running back coming out of the draft, uh, early third round, 74th overall, Devin Singletary uh, to the Bills out of Florida Atlantic. Uh, so not not the biggest of schools. Uh, what's your what's your immediate take on Devin Singletary? I'll be honest with you, for Singletary, I'm pretty lukewarm on him as a prospect. I wasn't the biggest fan going into the draft process. Um, you already talked about it there with with Florida Atlantic, small school. Poor competition. Um, he's a smaller back, 5'7", 203, um, slow, 4'6", 6", 40-yard dash. Uh, for me, Very he's... Very disappointing. 
he's okay. He's a decent prospect. I'm not excited about him like I am someone like a Miles Sanders or a uh, Josh Jacobs, for example. So I was kind of off of Devin Singletary because I think he's just a guy, to be honest with you. There's nothing that stood out to me with the exception of, I mean, the guy was uber productive in college. So that's, you can't let that slide. That counts for something. But for me, um, he's probably going to be a guy that I'm not reaching for and definitely not trading up for in rookie drafts personally, especially with the fact that um, year one, that backfield is a mess. Year two, you could argue he could have a chance to be the starter next year with LaShawn McCoy, who's aging, Frank Gore, who's 60, um, and TJ Yeldon, who, you know, his NFL future is murky at best. So I think landing spot helps him here. Uh, I don't love the prospect, though. What do you think? Yeah, the landing spot's kind of interesting in that it kind of lowers his draft stock to a place where it's kind of more palatable to take him. Um, if he had gone somewhere else, it might have been hard to get him at value. But because he went to the Bills, where he's sitting behind all those guys and all those years of age that you just mentioned, uh, he, he's kind of fallen down to this point uh, in rookie drafts. But I like Singletary. Um, I Yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm pretty optimistic about him. So, like you mentioned, the, the production was obscene. Uh, 4,300 yards over three seasons including in in 2017, which is his sophomore year, 1,900 rushing yards and 32 touchdowns. That is disgusting. That's pretty good. It's, it is incredible. Uh, in fact, that's <laughs> the third most rushing touchdowns in a single season in FBS history by, by a player. So extremely productive. He also forced 96 missed tackles last season, which was behind only David Montgomery. We mentioned that uh, on the last rookie pod. Uh, he was the second most in missed tackles, and it's a little bit more of shifting and making guys miss than uh, smacking them like like David Montgomery does. Um, but he actually draws uh, some comps to LaShawn McCoy, who he's sliding in behind. Also very good in pass protection. So certainly the size is not great. He's 5'7", 203. So that's a, that's a downside for sure. And the draft capital is decent. It's not really it doesn't really do much for the needle in either direction um but like you mentioned i think there's a decent chance that within a year or two he's suddenly the rb1 or head of an of a two-back committee in buffalo on a team that really wants to run uh and if that's the case i think you're going to get value for where he's going in drafts right now yeah i think that's well said i think i think his draft price right now according to this adp like you said makes him makes him easier to take if he was someone that was going in round one i would say no way jose i'm off of of devin singletary but mid to back into the second round yeah sure he's worth a shot there and like i said you know if he has a chance to be the starter next year um you could be stealing at that price so i could be talked into singletary uh at that draft capital Let's go ahead and swing it over to the 20th prospect off the board here, according to ADP. That is Irv Smith Jr., uh, tight end out of Alabama, now playing for the Minnesota Vikings, taking in the second round of the NFL draft, 50th overall, which um, was pretty early, honestly, for where I expected Irv Smith to maybe go. Um, Okada, what do you think about Irv Smith's future there in Minnesota? Yeah, so Irv Smith is an interesting one for me because – Coming into the draft, I kind of liked him not more than the other two guys, Hawkinson and Fant, but closer 
there was a closer gap for me between those two guys and Irv Smith than maybe the consensus. Um, and then and when he initially went to Minnesota, my first thought was, oh, that's not great. He's coming in behind Kyle Rudolph. But the thing is, Kyle Rudolph is in the final year of his contract. There's also a decent chance, like we mentioned on the mock draft pod, that he gets traded to somebody who really wants a tight end uh, and has Tom Brady as their quarterback. Um, Those but, rumors could heat up for sure. Yeah, but even if he does not and Rudolph plays another year, we've talked many, many times about how you're not really going to expect top-end production from a tight end in their first year anyways. So if Kyle Rudolph does not re-sign with the Vikings and they go forward after this year with Irv Smith as their lead tight end, all of a sudden you've got a guy who set an Alabama record for tight end touchdowns with seven, has a very well, very well-rounded skill set. I think uh, Hawkinson's is probably a little bit more complete and maybe just a little bit better in a lot of the different aspects, but certainly more well-random than Noah Fant, in my opinion, in that he's a little bit more balanced between ability to block, ability to line up anywhere, but also be an extremely good pass catcher. Um, I think he kind of comps to Eric Ebron or, and this one is most interesting for me, something like a Jordan Reed, potentially. And the reason hmm. that that one's interesting to me is because of who the quarterback is for Minnesota, Mr. Kirk Cousins whose absolute favorite target when he was in Washington and Jordan Reed was healthy, which was not often. Oh, those three games? Yes, those three games was Jordan Reed. <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a very decent chance that after this season, or maybe even this season if Kyle Rudolph is gone for some reason, that Kirk Cousins ends up having a tight end target that he can really, really trust. Uh, obviously, he's not going to uh, leapfrog Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen from a target standpoint, but with those two guys on the outside and in the slot, it's gonna it's gonna make Irv Smith uh, pretty high upside for me from the tight end position uh, with that guy's as quarterback and in a, a decent offense. Yes, I hope that your Jordan Reed comp has nothing to do with injury because facts um, that would be so sad for for Irv Smith because of Reed's tragic history of injury in the NFL. But when you look at him as a prospect, there is definitely a lot to like. You kind of talked about most of what I wanted to hit on here, but I think the thing that helps me to project him moving forward is he's going to help his quarterback. So you've already talked about the connection that could be there with Kirk Cousins, but when you watch his plays and you watch his tape from Alabama, um, he excelled in scenarios where he could just kind of find a soft spot in his own defense, sit down and be a really reliable weapon there. But then also shows pretty good run after the catch ability, um, pretty athletic guy. So almost like a younger Jason Witten is kind of where I'm picturing him being used, where he catches the ball eight or nine yards downfield, but instead of just falling to the ground, actually does something with it after the catch. Uh, so I like Irv Smith a lot. I think he's pretty well-rounded. The other thing to consider here, too, is um, he was used a little bit more in the backfield while at Alabama, almost in a an H-back or a fullback type of role. And so maybe they, you know, the the Vikings see that and they use him in that way a little bit. Um, not sure, but that could add a little bit of value catching some passes out of the backfield too. So uh, interesting player for sure. Obviously, you, you already touched on it there. Rudolph is in front of him, so we'll have to see what happens there. But uh, long term, I definitely like this guy a lot. 100%. All right, next guy I'll introduce since he plopped down onto the New England Patriots. It's Damian Harris running back. 
uh, out of Alabama alongside Josh Jacobs. We talked about Josh Jacobs, obviously, on the first Rookie Preview pod. This is the guy who was really the lead back for most of their career together. Careers together? Um, Careers. Yeah. Multiple. There was two of them. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, was overall the more productive player uh, between the two. He ended up with just over 3,000 uh, rushing yards over a four-year career at Alabama. 23 touchdowns. So he doesn't have the upside, uh, and I don't think people like his tape quite as much because Josh Jacobs is really flashy, but he might be the more reliable option. What is your take on him as a player and then this landing spot? Yeah, so as a player, I mean, in my opinion, he's being totally kind of swept aside. I think that Josh Jacobs stole the show from the running back position in this draft, and maybe that's rightly so, but uh, no one's talking about Damian Harris, who, like you said, was pretty much the guy for Alabama for most of their careers. So um, I still like Damian Harris a lot as a player. He's a, he's a guy who I think is good at a lot of things. There's nothing that I see when I watch him play that I look at him and I say, wow, he's the best at this in this class. So um, overall, well-rounded back. I think that he um, could have been much higher in this list had he landed somewhere else that wasn't New England. Definitely. And, and so now we talk about the landing spot. And, you know, we know the historical trend of what people argue, and that's that, you know, the Patriots use the running backs in a specific way, and everyone has a role. You don't know who's getting the ball. And sometimes that's true, but when you look at when you look at that team right now and the way it's made up, we can't kid ourselves here, Okada. This is going to make you sad to say this, but Tom Brady is getting older. Boo. <laughs> you say he has two or three more years left, and maybe he does, but um, the team is definitely switching to, I think, more of a more of a running approach. Um, Sonny Michelle was leaned on heavily last year at times, uh, especially when he was healthy, and so... If anything should happen to someone in front of him, I do like Damian Harris to step in more as that lead back type of role. I think James White is secure in his role. I think this really hurts Rex Burkhead, and I would prefer Damian Harris above him. So he's the RB3 right now for a good team. Um, but if things shake up in front of him, he could find success. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's a really good way of summarizing it. And what makes that kind of a high upside opportunity uh, is that both of the guys in front of him, well, not both the guys in front of him, if you count James White as in front of him and Burkhead behind him, but both of the guys who aren't James White, uh, who obviously profiles as that pass catcher, that are on this roster currently have had injury histories uh, with Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead. So both even as uh, recent as last year, but also kind of throughout their careers. So there's a, there's a chance that he... A is the RB one for the Patriots for some portion of the next couple years, uh, if things go wrong with the other two guys. But B, even if they don't, and it's just kind of what uh, Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead were supposed to be last year, uh, when before Burkhead suffered the injuries, you can get production out of both those guys in this system. Um, so he might have a you know an RB three or a flex type value. Uh, depending on how things shake out. Obviously, it's not the best landing spot uh, overall, but it might end up giving you some value based off where he'll fall in rookie drafts. So I like him. Yeah, and I think you know I think it's worth touching on. So let's just spend a minute. Um, you mentioned the injuries, and I think this is really important to highlight. 
Todd Gurley is getting all sorts of buzz right now in a negative way because of this arthritis. Let's not forget, you know, Sonny Michelle, I hate this term, entered the NFL with quote unquote bone on bone. Everyone freaked out. Um, but that's the reality is, you know, that is showing up on imaging right now. It doesn't mean it correlates to his symptoms. It doesn't mean that he's having swelling and soreness and pain. But throughout the course of his career, if he has arthritis in that knee, he could have a similar type of situation where it's a Todd Gurley type of situation. And maybe right now is his peak and it's a short term thing for the Patriots. So um, maybe a sneaky ad here in Dynasty because of that concern. Harris may not have a ton of opportunity right now, but in the future, in that offense, 100% he could. Let's go ahead and move on here to a guy that I know Kent really likes. Uh, that's Justice Hill, the new running back for the Baltimore Ravens. He was taken in round four out of Oklahoma State. Um, Justice Hill has a chance, in my opinion, to kind of step right into an immediate role in that offense, right behind Mark Ingram as a change of pace, pass catching back. And he only has to beat out, really, uh, Kenneth Dixon in front of him um, in my opinion. So I think he has an immediate opportunity to play. He's a guy who's a little bit undersized. And I think the for that offense and for his skill set, which is quick around the line of scrimmage and explosive, it could be effective, I think, as early as year one for him in a specific carved out role, especially if Lamar Jackson isn't able to get the passing game going. And it's more of a check down type of situation. So I actually like this fit for Hill a lot albeit he won't be a workhorse, but I think that's fine for what he can do. Uh, what do you think about Justice Hill? Yeah, uh, I think he's pretty well-rounded from the perspective of what you're looking at uh, at prospects coming out. He's got the production, uh, over 3,500 rushing yards and 30 rushing touchdowns in three seasons uh, out there at Oklahoma State. He had the athletic profile for sure, one of the best actually at the Combine. He had a 40-inch vertical, which was first among running backs, a 10-foot, 10 10-inch 10 broad jump, which was tied for first. A 4-4, 40-yard dash, which was first. I think you see where we're going here. Uh, definitely profiled well athletically. And it, it's, it's easy to be tempted to say that he can be the Alvin Kamara to the Mark Ingram in this offense, which you shouldn't do. Because no one really is going to be the Alvin Kamara to anyone in any offense. Uh, only Alvin Kamara can do that. But having said that, he might be a little bit of a poor man's Alvin Kamara in this offense, uh, in the sense that he can be, quote-unquote, the lightning to Ingram's thunder and Lamar Jackson's... Uh, uh, what goes with lightning and thunder? Rain? Yeah, usually it's rain. All right. That, that's <laughs> what Lamar Jackson is, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I like him as well. Uh, not quite as much as Kent. I just went and checked, and Kent has him at number 12 overall. Uh, for rookie ranks but even if you just take our the consensus of the three of us we have him up at 17 which is a good chunk higher than this adp so i'm a fan of justice hill i can think i think he can produce right out of the gate especially in this offense which obviously as we know wants to run the heck out of the ball absolutely they're gonna run 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 and then run some more indeed so there will be opportunity there even though he is not uh, listed as their rb1 on their depth chart Let's go ahead and, and kick it on to the next guy here. We're getting towards the back end of round two with this rookie ADP. We've got another quarterback coming off the board at pick 23 overall. This is John Elway's guy, Drew Locke, the newest quarterback for the Denver Broncos, who um, was taken in the second round. Many people thought he was going to go as early as pick 10 to John Elway, and, and I've got to give 
at least some sort of credit to John L.A. for this pick because it was amazing that they got him where they did, and, and I think a value, honestly. So um, he steps in right behind Joe Flacco, who's probably going to be the starter for at least this season. But Drew Locke is probably their guy of the future, or they're hoping he can be. Um, he's a guy who, for me, screams John Elway quarterback, which is the dude can chuck the ball. I mean, my God, he's got a cannon. Um I think that there's still some more that needs to be put in as far as the work to make him an NFL quarterback. But if he can make that arm talent translate to the next level um, with a good crew of young wide receivers and Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton, uh, as well as Noah Fant now at the tight end position, uh, it's an interesting future there for, for Drew Locke, who um, could find success with that core. What do you think about Locke as a prospect? Yeah, it, it's so tough with these guys that get drafted by John Elway because the track record at this point is very good that he's very bad. Uh, this is the sixth guy <laughs> Elway has drafted, and spoiler alert, all five of the previous ones have completely bombed uh, in the NFL. Oh, Paxton Lynch. Yes. <laughs> but I like Drew Locke uh, if he gets a chance to sit, and I think that, that I think that will probably happen. I think that's why they brought in Joe Flacco. Uh, a veteran who has had productive years and certainly at least has some wisdom, I would think, that he can impart to a young uh, fellow like Drew Locke uh, and kind of translate Locke's massive production and huge arm into a little bit more mature of a passer. Uh, right now, his decision-making can be kind of iffy. He can force balls a lot. It leads to a lot of turnovers. So I don't want to see him start right away because I think that could go really, really poorly. But if they send him for a whole year, maybe even two, I'm not sure Flacco's contract. I feel like they got him for more than a year, but I might be wrong there. Uh, uh, I believe they did. Yeah. So if I would like, I wouldn't mind seeing him sit for two years. So if you're willing to wait on your quarterback, I think that Drew Locke could be the answer there, and that's the. It's he going be, out on the limb, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they've tried a lot of times to find the answer there and failed. But hopefully, he can be. Uh, he certainly has the upside. We just have to see if he can develop. Yeah, and I just pulled up Joe Flacco's current contract situation. He's under contract right now with the Broncos through twenty twenty one, which would put him at age thirty six. So, um, who knows if. Flacco has a couple of good years. Locke could sit for a lot longer, but maybe that's not the worst thing. I think, I think there's a lot to Joe Flacco's game that you can look at and not like quite as much. But granted, the guys won a Super Bowl, and he can stand in the pocket and deliver when there's pressure in his face. And right now, for Drew Locke, that's something that he cannot do. I don't know if you watch much of his game tape, but when you watch him get pressure in his face, he gets flustered, he gets nervous, and just chucks it yep. to whoever he sees first, which creates, obviously, issues. And for NFL defenses, they're going to eat that up with turnovers. So I think at least that's something that he can learn from Flacco to do well. And if he can do that, can gain the trust of um, that coaching staff moving forward. So definitely an upside type of guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens here moving forward for Drew Locke. Um, as the 23rd player off the board. Okada, let's let's go ahead and wrap this round two up here with the 24th player off the board. Uh, Minnesota Vikings running back Alexander Madison, who was taken in the third round, pick 38. 102 overall. Um, he's going to slide in into Minnesota right behind Dalvin Cook. Tell me about Alexander Madison. 
I mean, there's not too much to say. This was kind of an, a surprising pick uh, for the Vikings, except that they did need depth. I thought they might have gone a little bit deeper, and I think there might have been a few guys on the board with uh, a little bit better profiles I could have taken, but they, they liked, apparently, Alexander Masson. And one of the reasons they might have is he's kind of a slightly smaller, slightly less tough Latavius Murray, in a way, uh, and also potentially even a little bit more well-rounded version of Latavius Murray in the sense that he had pretty good uh, pass-catching production in his last couple seasons, 28 and 27 catches uh, in his sophomore and junior year. So maybe he's sort of a, a cross between Murray and Dalvin Cook, and that's what they're going for. I'm not quite sure, but they're, they're clearly looking for a backup to Cook. This is not someone I don't think he's going to challenge Cook in any way, shape, or form. But Cook has not had the greatest injury, cleanest injury sheet. I don't know how you would say that, Mr. Doctor Man. Um, <laughs> that sounded pretty good. We can All right. say that. Uh, so there's certainly, they, they had a need for depth there, and they went with Alexander Madison for that. He did have a very productive junior year, 1,400 yards and the 17 touchdowns. So that's very solid out at Boise State. Um, but I don't think, I'm not too stoked about him. I think he's... A depth piece that's worth grabbing. I think there's a couple other guys that we'll talk about uh, in the com- in the next pod that I would definitely take over him from an upside perspective. Uh, do you have any outstanding thoughts on on Madison? I'm not the biggest Madison fan. Obviously, part of that is landing spot, but even before that, there was a lot of hype. I think in some circles that people were really excited about this guy, and to me, I just didn't see it when I watched him play. Um, He's a good all-around type of player, but he lacks a couple of things that I think help rookies get on the field sooner, even if it is a backup role, and that's pass protection, which he's not the best at, in my opinion. So he'll have to definitely grow there if he wants to earn a role in the passing down work and on, on third downs. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's another guy that, like I kind of said before, is just a guy to me um if anything happens to Dalvin Cook it's a great offense and it's a, a role that I think he'll get heavily utilized but for me unless I'm a Dalvin Cook owner there's not really a reason that I'm excited to draft Madison yeah that's a really good way of summarizing it, I think all right that was round two rookie ADP we talked about all the guys from pick 13 to 24 a couple of quarterbacks a tight end some receivers Running backs, Okada. Any uh, any final words for the people out there? Um, draft all the Cardinals because they're getting the ball thrown to them from Kyler Murray. Ha ha! I got Kyler Murray in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's ridiculous. We've got one more of these to do here uh, in the future for all of you. We're gonna look at round three ADP, and I can virtually guarantee that there's gonna be a way that somehow. Okada sneaks Kyler Murray into that discussion. I mean, there's one more receiver that they drafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get to that uh, at a later date. Uh, but that's going to do it for us tonight. Again, all of you that are supporting us on Patreon, we do appreciate it a lot. Um, we hope that you enjoyed getting access to this early compared to those who, who have had to wait. But again, uh, we do, su- do uh, support all of your support. Mm. And we hope that you can continue to grow with us here moving forward. Okada... Tell people where they can find you. At Matt Okada on Twitter. So original. Yeah. I'm glad Love I could it. And, see uh, Yes, and you can all find me at the Fantasy PT. Look for more content on Redshirts, fantasyfootball.com. And until next time, we are the Redshirts.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.